time. God is good. We're going to continue in our series in Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 3 again. Last week we learned about joyful confidence, joyful in the fact that God saved us. It has nothing to do with us. It's not of the work of me or you or anything we do, but it's fully and solely the work of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Today we're going to talk about persevering confidence. Persevering confidence. Would you stand with me as we would read from God's Word? Open your Bibles or read on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, first a brief prayer. Father, you deserve the greater glory for sure, as David says in Psalm 115.1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, O Lord, but to you belongs the glory. We're here, Lord God, to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. May there be no glory for me or anyone else here, Lord God. Lord, we do. We come to you. We come to you completely empty-handed. We bring nothing here today, Lord God, other than a desperate need to know you and the power of your resurrection. We ask, Lord God, that through the preaching of your word, through the filling of your spirit, you would encourage and strengthen and teach your saints this day. That we would be encouraged to persevere to the very end. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as lost for the, for, the sake of, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness that, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We'll see, by God's grace, four things today. We'll see Paul's proclamation, Paul's pedigree, Paul's persuasion, and Paul's perseverance. Beginning with proclamation. Paul writes this in verses 1 to 2. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me. And it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We talked about that last week. The Judaizers who were coming in, who were saying you need to add to your salvation outward signs of circuses. You need to, in essence, become a Jew. Paul says no in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And as we saw last week, Paul defined what it means to be circumcised according to how God says to be circumcised in Romans 2, that in Romans 2.29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from God, not from man, but from God. Paul says there are three things, three things that define the one who is truly circumcised and who truly rejoices in the Lord. The first is worship by the Spirit of God. The word worship is latruo. It means to serve or to worship. What kind of people does Jesus want? Remember, Jesus was in Samaria meeting a woman at a well, and he says to her this in John 4, 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What kind of worshipers does Jesus demand? Worshipers in truth and in spirit. Worship as God says in His Word. What God says in His Word is true. As Paul says somewhere else in Corinthians, I believe it says, he says, let God be true and every man a liar. Because every person, every created being is a liar compared to the perfection of who God is. God be true and every man a liar. Be careful who you listen to on the radio. Be careful which books you read about theology and those things. Many are false teachers. Many have a bad understanding. And I don't say that to, mm, I got it down. No, I need to constantly be checked. I need to constantly check myself. But God has given us, thanks be to God, a plethora. You like that word, plethora? Of teachers who we know are solid and who we would recommend. Say, they think the way that we think. We think within a reformed mindset of how to interpret Scripture. God's Word is deep, yes, but it's not hard. Some things are hard, yes, but God has structured His Word, and only God could take a book that can never, ever be exhausted, and yet the most simple-minded of us can understand it, and the most intellectually-minded of us can never plumb the depths of God's Word. Impossible. That's the fancy word you've heard me use it before, the perspicuity of Scripture. So you can ask somebody today in the checkout, you're at Walmart today or you're at Popeye's getting fried chicken because now I want fried chicken. And you could say, hey, have you ever, do you believe in the perspicuity of Scripture? And then watch the person go, you know, 
They go, hey, I'm talking to you. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. God is looking for people who worship. Who worship. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God says. Worship is not a Sunday morning activity. It is a moment-by-moment activity. That's why Paul told the church in Colossae in 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Worship is an everyday occurrence, moment by moment, second by second. I eat and I drink and I drive and I think and I walk and I talk to the glory of God. The second defining trait of a truly circumcised person is one who rejoices in the Lord. That is, that they glory in Christ Jesus. That's what he says, the word glory. Kachukomai, to brag or to boast. To brag or to boast. To glory in Christ Jesus is not only to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, but also to tell of His greatness verbally. Tell of his greatness verbally and to tell of what he has done. The psalmist says this in Psalm 71, 15, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. In other words, whenever you have opportunity, loved ones, to give glory to the Lord, when should you do it? You get promoted at work. Congratulations on your promotion. What an opportunity to give glory to the Lord. Thanks be to God he gave me this promotion. You got a new car. Hey, thanks be to God that he provided. And have an opportunity to give glory to the Lord. Whatever it is, use it as an opportunity to give glory to God. You don't know where the conversation will go. Use it as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is from God. And for God, Colossians tells us in 1, 16 and 17. The third trait of someone who is truly circumcised and who rejoices in the Lord, who worships and rejoices in the Lord, is that they place no confidence, no confidence in their own works or their own righteousness. The word confidence, pitho. It means to rely on, to trust, and to depend upon. This person knows and understands that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, that it is not of themselves, it is the gift of God. And we sang the song here just before from City of Light, Good and Gracious King. To the king in need of nothing, empty-handed I come. We need to understand that's how we come to the Lord, empty-handed. We don't bring anything of worth to the table. What do we bring to salvation? What do we bring to the Lord Jesus Christ? We bring sin and brokenness. And he takes and says, that's exactly what I can use. That's exactly what I redeem. That's exactly what I make whole. It's nothing. We will never be able to stand on our laurels on the day of judgment. The reason that we rejoice in the Lord Worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus is because we cannot put any confidence in our own works. All that we bring to salvation, as I said, is our sin and brokenness. 
That's why Paul writes to the church in Galatia who are moving towards a works-based salvation. He says this in Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, who have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't care what you think you can do or what you may do. Nothing earns us salvation. Nothing earns us salvation. Remember that Paul was warning the church in Philippi about these Judaizers, about these ones who were coming in saying, essentially, you need to become a Jew. You need to become a Jew to really be saved. Yeah, you came to Jesus, but, you know, he gave it to the Jews first, and and they have the covenants, and they have circumcision, and they have the law, and it just didn't make sense that you have to do all these things in order to truly be saved. Not true. Uh, On the 25th of this month, Mitch Glazer from Chosen People will be sharing with us. He'll tell you, yeah, there's an advantage to being a Jew, Paul says. Without a doubt, for them was given a law, for them was given a covenant. They were to be the light unto the Gentiles. But they would, Mitch would never tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm in because I'm a Jew. No, we're in because of faith in Jesus Christ given to us by the grace of God. They were saying that you need to have the works of the flesh in order to be saved. Paul, in order to combat that, says, let's do a comparison. Let's make some comparisons. Let's compare their Jewishness, and let's compare my Jewishness. And so Paul gives us his pedigree. Listen to Paul's pedigree in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's a bold statement. Paul is saying that no one has more confidence than he does in their works. If if to be truly saved means to be circumcised and to become a Jew, no one is more Jewish than me, Paul says. And then he lists his credentials. Look what it says in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. The Jews were given the right of circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant. Remember, God made the promise, Paul tells us, before circumcision. God passed through the pieces in, in Genesis chapter 15 before the sign of circumcision. It was a seal. It was an outward sign of the promise of God. But the promise was given before. So circumcision is just a seal. It doesn't make somebody saved. It was on the eighth day. Notice Paul says the eighth day. Whenever you see something in Scripture like that, why the eighth day? Well, because God said it's to be on the eighth day. That's why. Genesis 17, 12. To Abraham, God says this, He who is eight days old among you, shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. These Judaizers, these ones that were coming in and causing trouble, they were circumcised much later on in life. Paul is stating that he is actually a true Jew, not one who jumped on the bandwagon as it were, later on in life. He was born a Jew. He is of the people of Israel. He is of the tribe of Benjamin, the very tribe of which God says, Benjamin, I love you. That's the tribe. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
Paul knows what it means to be Jewish. And these outsiders have nothing on Paul's Jewishness. And just as an aside on the idea of circumcision on the eighth day, why, have you ever wondered why the eighth day, not the seventh day? Like, why the eighth day? That's like such an odd number in Scripture, right? It's like seven or, you know, those numbers are like, that's God's number. Why, why the eighth day? Well, God knows what He's doing because God fearfully and wonderfully made humans. In the 1930s, there was a Danish a researcher, Henrik Dahm, and an American researcher, Edward Doisy, and they were researching how blood clots. And in, in 1943, they received the Nobel Prize for medicine. And they discovered that in the human body, the body has two clotting factors. Alvin, I hope I'm correct on this. I researched it, but Alvin will correct me. One of them is vitamin K. If you don't have vitamin K, you're not gonna, your body's not going to clot. Uh, it is formed in the body from the fifth day to the seventh day. The second clotting factor is uh, 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 prothombin, I guess that's how you say it, prothombin. And it develops a 30 at 30% uh, of normal by the third day. And it peaks at 110% on the eighth day and then levels off to 100%. So if you didn't have these two factors, if you didn't have vitamin K and you didn't have promothin uh, at 110% on the eighth day, or if either one of those was missing, you would bleed to death. See, God knows exactly what he's doing. So it, it, when we circumcise children when they're born now, they're actually given a shot of vitamin K to make sure they don't bleed to death. Wow, God knows what he's doing. God fearfully and wonderfully has made the human body. He knit us together in our mother's womb. If anything, take joy in the fact that God knows you so well, he knows your vitamin K. Paul then, after talking about his physical Jewness, so I'm physically, I'm a Jew. Let's talk about religiously being a Jew. Oh, I got you beat there, Paul is saying. Paul says this, as to the law, a Pharisee. There was no higher degree that you could have, no higher position that you could obtain to in understanding the law than being a Pharisee. You were the teacher of teachers. Matter of fact, if you go on and listen and listen to Paul's credentials, he sat at the feet of a guy named Gamaliel, who even to this day is revered as one of the absolute greatest teachers of the law within the Jewish community. He says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, being all in, sold out for this, a persecutor of the church. In other words, I went after people who did not agree with me. And certainly we know that Paul stood there at the stoning of Stephen and gave approval to that man's death, the first martyr of the church. He says, as to righteousness under the law, in other words, keeping the law, keeping the Sabbath, tithing, all of those things, he actually can say, and he says, I am blameless. <whistles> Never once on the outwardness of the law did Paul mess up. Of course, Jesus comes, comes by and says, you know what? You think the law means this? It actually means this. And so we know that Paul wasn't blameless in the heart. He was blameless 
in the outward acts. Jesus even said about the Pharisees, he says, you Pharisees, you tithe your mint and your cumin and your deal, your dill. You do all these things, and yet, you know what? You're not going to make it because you're relying on your works. But then he turns around and he says to the people, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can my righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees? It has to be a righteousness that came not from my own self, from outside of me. And so Paul is stating his pet, in stating his pedigree, is telling the church in Philippi that I understand what it means to be a Jew and to live as a Jew. Paul is saying that these outsiders who are placing their confidence in the outward works of Jewishness are wrong. Paul has more Jewishness than all of them. He has, tells the church in Philippi that he is persuaded of this, that his Jewishness means nothing concerning his salvation. It means nothing. Loved ones, coming to church, reading your Bible daily, those are all good things. Going to Bible study, they're all good things, but have they ever become for you something that I check a box? I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it means nothing. Paul says that he is persuaded. His persuasion is this, that but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I count as loss. The word loss is zemina. It means to suffer the loss of something which one has previously possessed with the implication that the loss involves considerable hardship or suffering. When Paul says he counts it as loss, he's not just going like, hey, it's gone in the past and it never bothered me. No, it came at a great cost to Paul. What did Paul lose by becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul got kicked out of uh, the Pharisee ship, if that's what it's called, the priesthood. He lost it. And according to Jewish tradition, you're out of the tradition. You're out of God's grace. You are anathema, right? I mean, many of us know that in the Catholic Church, that if you get kicked out of the Catholic Church, their doctrine officially is that what? You're doomed to hell. You have no hope. Same thing for Paul. Paul is saying that the process of losing what he gained Whatever he gained by being a Jew, a super, the best Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, flawless, all of these things, he says, yeah, you know what? It was painful to lose those things. It wasn't easy. Kicked out of the priesthood, lost friends and family. More than likely, Paul lost a wife. One of the requirements to be a Pharisee was to be married. We don't know if he was or not, but if he was, his wife left him. If he lost it all. It wasn't like some just, I've encountered Christ, and it's just so, and Christ is so wonderful, but it, that it didn't come at a cost to him. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh is a painful activity. It's hard. But Paul was so committed. Paul was so consumed 
with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Paul is an incredible person. We read that Paul was in a town called Lystra. And Jews from Antioch came and they stirred up trouble and they drug Paul outside of the city and they stoned him, right? We know what stoning is, right? Picking up big rocks and throwing them at your head till you're dead, right? I didn't, that's like a rap almost. Um, that's what they did to Paul. They stoned him outside the city. They thought he was dead. They left him for dead. But God in his miraculous power rose Paul back up, and it says this, that Paul went back into the city. <laughs> right away, he went, he got up, they stoned him, he gets up, he goes back into the city. That's dedication. That's being sold out to the cause. And it says he went into the city, and it says in Acts 14, 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Salvation is the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. But the cost of entering the kingdom of God is high. And Paul says it's absolutely worth it. Do you and I believe it's worth it? Is it worth it? be called the child of God and to be willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of Christ. We cannot compromise. If you compromise in the small things, guaranteed you will compromise in the big things. You compromise in the small things. I compromise in the small things. And when the day comes that they storm into this building and they tell you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And you have to make a decision you haven't made that decision way back when, when that moment comes, I know what you're going to say. Nope. My friend invited me. Something like that. This is happening to people in China right now. Make a declaration of faith now. You may die for it. Are we so committed? Do we believe that the viewing and gazing on the beauty and the glory of Christ is worth more than anything else. Are we willing to pay the cost to enter the kingdom of God? Paul says in verses 8 to 11, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered a loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Of course, we know the word rubbish is scubala. It literally means human excrement. And I count them as human excrement in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul says a whole lot here. He says, first, I want the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Surpassing worth. Hooper echo. To be of surpassing or exceptional value. Sometimes Greek words are just obvious. But do we really view Jesus Christ as being of surpassing worth? Listen to what the Bible tells us about this. 
In Psalm 119, 10 to 11, about God's word and of knowing Christ, David writes this, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. We value the surpassing worth of knowing, not knowing about, but knowing Christ Jesus of, as surpassing worth. Paul says he wants this knowledge of God. He desires this knowledge of God because he does not want a righteousness that is by his own obedience to the law. Paul's been down that road. He knows that that road leads to despair. Paul was never content in his legalism. Legalism will never make you have, I got to do this and I got to do this because God says I can't do anything else. Well, there is some truth to that, but if you're doing it because I have to do it because by this I will find joy and peace in God um, by doing this rather than by faith. No, let what you choose to do in honoring God be because of the faith and the grace that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. That's why we have any kind of works that's why we should be so glad that James is there to balance us out, to tell us that it's by faith you have to have works. It's not just faith and it's not just works. It's faith being proved in its works. That's what Paul is saying. The person who tries in their own strength to meet God's standards will always come up short, always be lacking in joy and in contentedness. Paul knows that the only righteousness acceptable to God is the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You want to you evangelism 101? Put this verse in your mind. Have this verse in your heart. Memorize this verse. Here is the summation of the entire gospel. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says he wants to know the ex- and experience the resurrection power of Christ in his everyday life. You want resurrection power in your life? He says he wants to share in the sufferings of Christ. Well, hold on, Paul. I'm good with the resurrection power stuff. The suffering? Hold on. Now you're getting a little crazy, Paul. Remember what Paul's already told us. In, 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 in the book of Philippians, that it has already been granted to us in Christ Jesus to share in his sufferings. Remember, it was graciously granted to us. In 129, you read that. But we often forget that while, yes, we share in the sufferings of Christ, because if anyone desires to be godly in this world, he will suffer persecution. And suffering comes in this world, whether it's a diagnosis, a car accident, whatever it be, people hating you, all kinds of form of suffering, but we need to remember that uh, it's not just suffering for Christ. There's also a comfort in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We don't balance out the scales enough. Suffering, 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 and I've certainly done that. There's comfort too. 
Paul's end goal was to attain to the resurrection of the dead by any means possible. When Paul says by any means possible, by the way, he's not saying there's other ways that I'm going to try this way and this way and who this way may work and this may way work. He's not saying that. He means that whatever road God takes me down, I'm going to go down that road. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever road God takes me down to conform me to the image of Christ, I am going to take it. I'm not going to let my own comfort or anything else sidetrack me from the goal of becoming like Christ and obtaining the resurrection of the dead one day. That's what Paul was saying. And so we see Paul's perseverance. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Gordon Fee, in his commentary in Paul's letter to the Philippians, writes this, What Paul has not yet obtained, therefore, is the eschatological realization of the goal expressed in verses 10 to 11. The kind of knowing Christ that will be his only when he has attained unto the resurrection of the dead or its equivalent. If you want to know what the equivalent is, it's the dying, going into being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not made perfect yet. But I'm looking forward to the day in which I stand perfected in the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul again states that he does not count his past performances as a means to obtaining the resurrection of the dead, but rather that he is consumed with pressing on to the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Listen again to what he says. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, singularly focus, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? It is the resurrection of the dead unto everlasting life. Paul was consumed. and You and I, loved ones, need to be consumed. Working with all of our strength through the power that God grants by faith and grace, so that we would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We will all have to give an account one day. We'll all have to give an account of our lives and of our words. How scary is that? And when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and, the sent, and you give an account and the sentence is handed down, what is going to be the sentence? sentence? Will it be life or will it be contempt? Because those are the only two choices for any human being, eternal life or eternal contempt. Daniel knew this. Daniel says in Daniel 12, 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the two choices any human has, everlasting life or everlasting contempt, in life in hell or life in heaven. If the sentence for you, if you say the sentence is life, why? Can you answer why? Here's evangelism. Why? If you say you're going to heaven, why? 
What is the basis for you believing that you will be granted eternal life? Well, I was a good person. I've done this. You ever shared anybody with the gospel? It's amazing. They always go right to, well, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. And they always make them comparison to somebody else, usually Hitler. Now they'd probably say, oh, I'm not as bad as Donald Trump. Um, but whatever, people will say. They always make a comparison. Well, you know what? It's good to make a comparison, but you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. Well, are you good in comparison to Jesus Christ? The answer is no. You don't stand a chance. If you believe that you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, what is, on what basis do you make that claim? If it is anything other than my faith in the person and work of Christ on my behalf, a faith that was granted to me by the grace of God, you will not have eternal life. And that's why Paul says what he says next. Verses 15 and 16. Let of those... Let those, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've already obtained. Here's what Paul is saying. Salvation is by faith through grace. It's not by your outward works. It's by what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, if you're mature, think that way. If you think differently, God's going to make it known to you. How will God make it known to you? Through the diligent and honest study of God's Word and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ through His revealed Word. God will increasingly reveal Himself to you. So the things that you didn't understand or maybe the things that you struggle with, God will make known to you. I told you last week when we talked about salvation and using the acrostic tulip. And I had people tell me, even just yesterday, that it was the same thing. That I didn't like what I heard when I first heard it. I disagreed with it. I, I, angrily, I was disagreed with it. But as I opened my heart and studied God's Word in my own, God revealed to me His truth. I heard it from somebody, but it took God revealing it to me. Until that happens for you, you are struggling with something and understanding God and what He wants and His purposes, God says, hold on. Continue to press on to know Christ. Continue to press on and growing in knowledge. God will reveal it to you. But then He says, but let us obtain to what we've already had. What He's saying is, but don't go backwards. Don't just go, oh, I can't figure it out, so I'm just, you know, it's just too hard, so I'm just going to abandon ship. A popular word in Christianity is to deconstruct your faith. It's from the pit of hell. There is no deconstructing your faith. Either you have faith granted to you by God in, through grace in Jesus Christ, or you don't. You don't go back, oh, well, everything I believed about the Bible is a lie, and everything I, everything I see other Christians do, and they're all hypocrites. Yep, absolutely, thank you, that's true. Doesn't negate the truth of the gospel. That's why we need to strive to press on to know Christ. Paul says, because you can be so easily taken by, by your own feelings and by false doctrine, he encourages them in a safeguard. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. 
And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says it's a safeguard. You know, I have the example of Jesus Christ, but who can I not see? I don't see, you see, if you see Jesus, please let me know. Because we need to correct that. Because nobody sees Jesus. But we see each other. There's somebody in your life. Remember a few sermons ago we talked about the extras? Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were faithful examples. Who are the extras in your life that you say, you know what, that's a person. Are they perfect? No, but that's a person who's striving to understand and know the power of God in His resurrection. Follow that person. Follow their example. That's what Paul is saying. Thanks be to God He's given us those kind of people within the church. He says it's a safeguard because it keeps us from falling into error and self-destruction. Because listen to what Paul says, and we're almost done. He says in verses 18 and 19, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their mind set on earthly things. What an indictment. The one whose end is destruction have not set their minds in the heavenly realms where Christ is seated. They're not pressing on to attain the resurrection of the dead. They live for the moment and not for eternity. The exact opposite should be true of the one who is honest, who honestly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we long and we wait for his return. And that's exactly what Paul says next. This is where you should put your mind. When, you, when, the, when the clouds are closing in, when things seem dark, when things seem hopeless, says, set your mind in the right place. He, what's he say? But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You ever think about heaven? You ever think about what your end is? You ever think beyond this life? It's hard, right? Because we live in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day kind of life. But we have to take time and think about what's the end here? You know, I can only imagine. What will it be like? Standing in your presence. To my knees will I fall? Will I be able to stand at all? Will I sing? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Let's contemplate these things. Meditate upon these things. What is it going to be like? I can tell you what it's going to be. The best day of your life. To stand in the glory of Jesus Christ. That is what we need to encourage one another. When things are hard, hold on there. God is with you. Yes, God is with you. But you know what? God has a plan. He's going to bring you through it all. God is going to use this, whatever this is, as bad as it is or good as it is or whatever it is, God is using this for that, to bring you to himself. We are to encourage one another with the sure return of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
But brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring, not might bring, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word of our own making, no, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of the command, cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. I see you on that golden seat. Are you struggling with your faith today? Are you finding it harder and harder to have joy in life? Are you wondering if living the Christian life is worth it at all because of how bad it is and nobody listens to it anyways? Why go through persecution and trials? Why, why deal with it? Is it really worth it? Loved ones, it's worth it. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 10.35. After saying how you've been persecuted, you had your stuff taken away, you were put in prison and all these things, he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Loved ones, don't throw away your confidence. Increase your confidence. Increase your confidence in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great reward is the Lord Jesus Christ. Finish with this. The writer of Hebrews tells us this is why our confidence is in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful confident perseverance because of what Christ has done and because Christ enables us to press on because we know this let us press on let us press on to know the Lord Father thank you that you've made yourself known in time and place. Thank you that our confidence is in you and not of ourselves. May we never rely on ourselves, Lord God. But may we ever and also, also ever, Lord God, be found to be lazy in our faith. But rather, would we work hard? Would we press on? Would we press on to take hold of that of which you've taken hold for us, Lord? That our faith would be seen in our words and what we do to the glory of Christ and of Christ alone. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's stand, let's close in a song. Let us close in a doxology.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.